0: In 1996, on a beautiful country lane in Kent, the so-called Garden of England, a mother and her two daughters returned from a swimming gala. It is high summer. Megan Russell is six, her big sister Josie is nine. Mother, Lynn, had chosen the walk home because it was so pleasant. She'd brought along with her the family dog. A man emerges threateningly, demanding money. He pounces, striking one with a hammer, Then attacks the others. He ties the hands of all three with the towels they had used at the swimming baths. Did the family dog howl his anger? Witnesses later can't remember hearing barking. Perhaps the animal was the first to be silenced. Lynn Russell and Megan die from the savage beating that they receive, whilst Josie is so badly hurt that her assailant assumes she's dead. He killed the dog too.
1: It's one of those crimes that is in the memory of most people and and you know you you mention the names and even if people don't know the names you say yeah you know the one where the woman was with the dog and the two daughters and they got hit with a hammer and two of them oh yeah I remember that and then the little girl survived yeah I mean it's something that you know fortunately it's something that we're just not accustomed to happening
0: Colin Sutton is a hardened former detective who worked some of the ugliest crimes whilst a senior detective at London's Metropolitan
1: Police. A seemingly just a random, pointless, brutal attack on uh, somebody doing as, something as innocently as taking her daughters home from a, a swimming gala. A woman nearby
0: provided a description of a man that she had seen on the day, and an e-fit of the assailant was produced. Josie had taken months to be able to communicate and had to be treated with extreme sensitivity to coax out of her whether the image reminded her of the attacker. It did. A year after the attack, the e-fit was subsequently shown on TV, and the name of a suspect emerges. Michael Stone was indeed a troubled man. Everyone agrees with that. Arrested, he'd eventually be found guilty by a majority verdict, but it took two trials. He was granted an appeal. It failed, but he protests his innocence to this day. For CBS Reality, 12 specifically selected citizens were asked to revisit the case and consider evidence not heard by the original jury before reaching their own verdict. They were tasked with deciding if an infamous triple killer called Levi Belfield is more likely the man who slaughtered the innocents that summer day. They were asked to consider if another convict who gave evidence against Stone could be believed, and they were presented with new evidence that the original trial jury could not have known. Full episodes of the series are available to view on CBS Reality. This podcast will review the case and the evidence, then hear from Belle Mooney, a columnist on Britain's Daily Mail, and Ben Hall, a Transport for London safety officer. They were two members of the CBS Reality jury who heard, as we will, from defence barrister Matt Stanbury and the former Metropolitan Police senior detective Colin Sutton, a much-respected investigator. As you listen to the conflicting arguments of prosecution and defence, you too will be placed in the same position as the jury. As you weigh the evidence up, you might well ask, did Michael Stone really commit murder? No doubt you'll reach your own verdict, and if you find Michael Stone not guilty, you might ask, is the killer still at large? Colin Sutton worked as a detective, a chief inspector at London's elite Metropolitan Police. He remembers all too well the clamour for an arrest after the attack on Lynn Russell
1: and her two daughters. It's one of those crimes where you can understand the immense pressure on those responsible for investigating and indeed for prosecuting it. You know, it's one of those cases where the community, the country really as a whole quietly demands a result, quietly demands that justice be done and the person responsible is brought to justice.
0: Ben Hall, a CBS reality jurist, joined Belle Mooney as they were confronted with considering a crime etched in their memories.
2: Well, I, I, it almost made me want to cry. It was a horrific crime. Random, broad daylight. woman with two two lovely girls and a dog. You know, the family. It, it, it just it threatened every fiber of your being, you know, as a human being because it could be anybody, it could be me with my kids, you know, I think that's why it, it made such a huge impression on people and revisiting it I found quite upsetting.
0: And Ben, you were probably too young to remember this, this happened, you know, way back in the 90s. Though. Yeah, it happened
3: when I was around 13, 14. What did you make of it when you, when you heard the full facts of that terrible crime? Oh, it was horrendous. I, I, have, a, I have a wife and children myself and any time a crime like this does happen, I, I think instantly, what if that was my wife yeah, exactly. and, and, and kids? And um, it is upsetting to watch. And crimes like that shouldn't happen, but they do. And it, it, you need to, you need to find someone convicted of that murder, and you don't want them on the street. Did you not
0: thirst? As, did you find that instinct? We must find somebody guilty. Well, that's for this what crime? I
2: said, and that's what bothered me because you know, the police, the prosecution, the public, are all thirsting for punishment. Somebody's got to be punished. Somebody has to be found to keep the rest of us safe.
3: There's a lot of public and a lot of media pressure Absolutely on the police service to find somebody for that murder.
0: Pivotal to the arrest, an e A woman near to the scene had offered police a description, a man with fair, closely cropped hair. Josie Russell, left for dead by her attacker, was too badly hurt to be spoken to for months. Her injuries left her unable to speak. With patience and expertise, she was coaxed to a point where she could communicate with investigators.
1: Josie Russell, the, the girl that survived the attack, is able to assist police in a, with a description of the man that killed her mother and her sister.
0: Josie's corroborating evidence added to the earlier description, which in some ways was the turning point that led to the arrest of Michael Stone. It gave police the confidence to release the image to Crime Watch, the BBC TV programme. A call to police came from Stone's psychiatric handlers who worked in a specialist care unit treating deeply disturbed patients.
1: During the treatment, he, he, he confided in somebody that he had fancies about killing somebody.
2: Because to me, the, the psychiatrist and the psychiatric nurse who are immensely experienced, for them to actually... Come forward and say that they thought it was him is powerful.
0: They didn't say they thought it was him, you know. They said, I recognise the EFIT
2: right.
0: as, as my, my patient, be... Michael Stone, you should talk to him. Right. Mm-hmm. And the psychiatric nurse said, I, it may or may not be relevant, but the week before these murders he told me that he, he had I these homicide yeah. penalties.
3: I think it was probably an outcry because it's such a horrendous crime, mm-hmm. especially that, at the time as well, that he needed to find somebody.
0: There was other evidence against Stone as well as the EFIT. A car was spotted at the scene.
1: There's a sighting of a car nearby, which is a Ford, which in in beige colour, uh, but it's a bit vague, but Michael Stone actually owns a Ford, although not in beige. Uh, So there's enough with these pieces of information all put together. He becomes of interest and a suspect to the investigation and, and is arrested.
0: The case against Michael Stone begins to build after he is sent to remand prison. Whilst there, he's alleged to have said things to a fellow prisoner, which amounted to a confession.
1: It's an absolute cornerstone, keystone of the prosecution case was the confession evidence. You know, without it, there would have been no charges, certainly, uh, let alone a trial. Colin Sutton candid about the strength of the early prosecution case. And Confession evidence, self-confessions, are always something to be used with caution. In fact, I think it's fair to say that as an investigator and indeed as a prosecutor, there's something that you only use if you really have to, if there's no alternative. Uh, Because by their very nature, the person who's giving the evidence is going to be unreliable or have questions as to his or her reliability because of the circumstances under which the confession takes place, i.e. in prison.
0: The man who hurt Stone that day was called Damien Daly. He tells police that he could hear the man in the next door cell, Michael Stone, being verbally abused by other prisoners. In the prison code, child killers are beyond the pale. Stone was being urged to kill himself or face the consequences.
1: Damien Daly is a a prisoner in the same prison as Stone. He's uh, a man of some violence and imposing character, shall we say. When Stone suffers from abuse and, and other inmates, you know, su- suggesting that because of the nature of his crime and his nature of what he's done, he'd be better off kidding himself rather than going back out and so forth, that uh, Daly comes to his rescue and, 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 and has such a an effect and a, a, a kind of power over the other prisoners that he's able to provide... Um, stone with some protection and and it's this protection that he offers that makes stone trust him i guess and daly then says that stone uh tells him what really happened and he tells him by talking you know along a, a a metal pipe that goes between the two cells and they sort of use that to conduct the sound and that's how they they talk to each other and he's able to talk to him despite being in segregation
0: Stone, Daly claims, told him things about the killings that were later established could only have been known by the killer himself. The conversation represented a confession in all but name. That was the claim. At different times, two other prisoners tell police that they hear Stone say things which also suggest he
1: is the killer. Daly comes forward and and gives this evidence. There is some corroboration, some other snippets of it, evidence from other prisoners, which sort of support it, I guess, um, in that notably uh, Stone says to one of the prisoners who he's having a bit of an argument with, um, you know, I may have made a mistake with that girl, but I'm not gonna make the same mistake with you, uh, which it's alleged, and, and one can see why, that it infers that he, you know, saying, I, I didn't manage to kill all three of them uh, at the Chillington murders, but I won't make the same mistake with you and and I will be able to kill you.
0: For Colin Sutton, a proven winner in court on leading cases including the conviction of the notorious Levi Belfield, the totality of the evidence against Stone suggests he was guilty. And that is what the first trial jury found.
1: I think if you look at the evidence upon which he's convicted, it's difficult in some ways to say that one feature of the evidence is more important or has, carries more weight than the others. But if you had no confession evidence, the fact that a psychiatrist had seen the EFIT and said provably that he's a psychotic and that he's dangerous and he'd fantasised about killing, that in itself would not be enough to convict him. The key to it all is the confession evidence because that's the only evidence put amongst those other contextual things that says yes, and he did this.
0: The first jury did find Michael Stone guilty of killing Lynn and Megan Russell. Not that Bal Mooney on the CBS reality jury felt it would have been an easy decision. There's been a debate about Michael Stone's guilt or innocence uh, from, from the moment he was convicted. Uh, yes. you know, you Twenty know,
2: the... years. I know, and that's why I, I uh, you asked guilty or not guilty, and you came to me first, which was not kind. Because until that moment, I really didn't know. And I, I, I think from the beginning, I, I veered in and out of thinking guilty and then not guilty. I really didn't know. I, I plumped for not guilty because, as so many of us said, the evidence just didn't seem to be there.
0: Matthew Stanbury is a barrister who regularly defends those accused of murder. He has reviewed the evidence in the case against Michael Stone. For him, alarm bells about the safety of the conviction ring from the very first trial.
4: Michael Stone's defence, in essence, was simply that he wasn't there, he'd never been to the area. There was no forensic evidence linking him uh, to the offences. It's right to say that his clothes had all been destroyed. There was a suggestion that... His clothing, his shirt had had uh, some blood on it, but uh, those clothes had never been recovered. So there was a lack of any physical evidence to connect him uh, to this case to strengthen the circumstantial uh, case against him. Uh, And and the reliability of those three witnesses uh, was critical. Uh, And it's interesting, perhaps, that at the first trial, it was still only a majority verdict. Uh, Ten jurors agreed, two jurors disagreed. There was then the retrial after uh, the uh, one of the prisoners retracted his uh, account of having heard a confession uh, from Michael Stone. Uh, and at the second trial, of course, Mr Daly's credibility uh, was all the more important because it wasn't corroborated by other confessions. Uh, he was known to be uh, a, a, a convicted uh, violent offender who'd been involved with drugs and, of course, the defence said that he was not he was not somebody who could be believed.
0: And what of the car? Possibly beige, but in the dissecting of the evidence given by witnesses and interested parties, there was also a suggestion it was red.
4: One of the key witnesses described having seen a beige-coloured motor vehicle, and there was no evidence at all that Michael Stone had owned such a vehicle. The evidence was that he was connected to a red Ford Escort, Uh, but there was no evidence at all to connect him to the vehicle which was associated with the assailant in this case.
0: So evidence against Stone was either circumstantial or potentially contradictory, leaving one key plank for the prosecution. What the prisoners on remand claimed to have heard Michael Stone say. They had said he knew things only a killer would have known. Effectively, he had confessed to them
4: the reliability of those three witnesses was critical. Uh, and it's interesting, perhaps, that at the first trial, it was still only a majority verdict. Uh, ten jurors agreed, two jurors disagreed.
0: However, the legal story of Michael Stone was far from over after two of the three witnesses who claimed to have heard Stone give himself away revealed themselves as less than reliable.
4: One of them stood down at the time, another one uh, retracted his statement later. But, of course, the defence case was always that these were unreliable witnesses, they were prisoners, uh, convicted uh, people not to be trusted uh, and people who had their own motives, perhaps, for uh, giving uh, a, a false account.
0: An appeal was granted and a second trial was ordered by the court. A new jury now considered all of the evidence heard at the first trial, but with only one witness now claiming that he had heard Michael Stone incriminate himself. That witness was Damien Daly. Matt Stambry reveals what the second jury would have heard about him.
4: He was known to be uh, a, a, a convicted uh, violent offender who'd been involved with drugs and of course the defence said that he was not creditworthy, he was not somebody who could be believed.
0: The jury heard something else, which suggested more reasons to consider Daly's so-called confession evidence unreliable. Why would Michael Stone suddenly tell all to a fellow prisoner when he had studiously avoided doing so before, even to the point of asking to be put into a segregation unit away from others?
4: Michael Stone had asked to be segregated, moved to the segregation unit, precisely to avoid uh, being incited to make confessions. And the jury are then asked to believe that having done so and having been uh, removed from association, uh, that he's then voluntarily, and with his head against uh, a pipe in his cell, uh, made a confession in circumstances where that's precisely what he was seeking uh, to avoid being pressured to do so that's an important point uh, in the defense favor
0: those and other points were put to the jury in the second trial, and again by a majority verdict of 10 to two, Michael Stone was found guilty. What weight did the CBS reality jury give to the absence of a unanimous verdict
3: because there wasn't concrete evidence for him or against him, was uh, there
2: yeah. and then in the end you know, what's, what's a jury what's a juror doing I mean you know you're, you're bringing
3: to your role. Now.
2: All your own life experience yeah. too, and as you say, you're married with kids. I'm a granny now, you know. It's, it's, you're bringing all that to it, and you, you're so horrified by the crime, by the the particular nature of the crime. I think subconsciously you want you want to convict. Yeah, I think you do, and I. In fact, if we were to do all this all over again, I might say guilty, you know. It's,
3: yeah, it's such a hard uh, It's
2: so choice, hard, yeah. it's so hard. You
3: don't ever want to put away an innocent man, but at the same no. time, maybe more importantly sometimes, you don't want to murder on the
0: street. No, And that's exactly. probably what they were thinking at the time. But still, the justice system is being asked to review the Michael Stone case. Passionate supporters believe him to be innocent, and he continues to protest that innocence. Two main reasons have been given which suggest reassessment will serve justice. The first put forward by Stone's defence team is that he could not have been the killer. Somebody else was. Matt Stambury.
4: There is another potential killer in this case, namely Levi Belfield. Levi Belfield has been convicted uh, of killing uh, three other women uh, and girls uh, uh, and is suspected uh, of possible involvement in other crimes as well.
0: Levi Belfield, a man whose name makes the blood run cold of the most hardened detectives like Colin Sutton, who was the lead Metropolitan Police investigator in the hunt for the killer of two women and a young girl. The suspect, Levi Belfield.
1: I have very good knowledge of the Levi Belfield case and indeed of Levi Belfield,
0: the man. Belfield murdered three times. He was first convicted of killing two women in 2004. Both mercilessly beaten over the head in a similar way that the Russells had been attacked eight years earlier. He also set about a teenage girl, running over her with his car. She was able to make an emergency call and survived. This is her voice just seconds after the attack.
2: Mm-hmm. Where does it hurt? Everywhere. the car stopped getting me out. Yeah. it again, she runs around over me. He ran over you again. Yeah. So he went over you twice? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I really hurt. That Belfield is a monster was something one of his partners, unaware just how deep his evil ran, was to testify to. At first, she had been one of the many mesmerised by the young Belfield.
5: He was the top dog. He was one that everyone wanted to be with, everyone wanted to be seen around. He was like the, the Don of like, the area.
0: In an exclusive interview with me in 2011 as part of a documentary about Belfield, Joe Collings described how he would eventually begin to beat her.
5: remember he split the back of my head open once, because he was fixing, doing something to the car, and I didn't answer him quickly enough, and he had a tool in his hand, and he just turned around, and as I walked away, he hit me straight in the back of the head and split all my head open down there. That was one of the times.
0: And then there was his fetish with attacking blonde women. Joe came home one night to see him using scissors to cut magazines.
5: When you find a magazine, and all only the blondes' faces are slashed, and you know he's got, he goes mad. And when I confronted him about it, and when he, I really got a good hide in that day, and he, like, he told me straight, he said, I hate blondes. They're all slags, and they should die.
0: Belfield was a psychotic misogynistic killer who lived in the southeast of England could he have been the Russells' attacker? After being convicted of two murders and sentenced to life, he was then investigated for the murder of another innocent, this time of schoolgirl Millie Dowler, who he killed in 2002. Former partner Joe remembers him saying something very strange around that time.
5: He said, I've done something. He said, and what I've done, if you won't forgive me, only God can forgive me. And I was like, yeah, you know, thinking of John McQueen. And he's like, no, seriously, he said, you... You won't, you won't believe it when you find
0: out. When interviewed, Belfield gave nothing away.
3: Do you honestly believe that your actions over the 21st and the 22nd of March 2002 are the actions of innocent men? No, problem.
0: If Belfield could deny that murder, could he also be remaining silent about killing the Russells? This was one of the key arguments the Michael Stone defence team now believed should be heard again by an appeal court. What does Colin Sutton think, as the man who had investigated Belfield for other offences.
1: Levi Belfield did possess a Ford Sierra car at that time, and Levi Belfield did look pretty much like that Efit in terms of his hairstyle and, of course, the shape of his face and so forth. Looking also at the mode of the attack, that is, with a hammer, uh, a un- unprovoked, random, apparently, attack with a, with a hammer, great force, and at the uh, e and at the possession of a Ford motor car that Levi Belfield, the murderer of uh, Millie Dowler and two others, is a good suspect. What I would say was, our investigation into Levi Belfield told us that on the day of the Chilenden murders, Levi Belfield was in West London, Surrey Borders, having a meal with his then-girlfriend and some family, to celebrate a birthday, and couldn't have been in Kent at that time.
0: For Matt Stanbury, advocating the case for Michael Stone is simple. The main evidence against him was always an unreliable witness, Damien Daly.
4: There is the evidence uh, of Mr Daly. Now, of course, it was known about at the time that Mr Daly was a convicted criminal, that he'd been involved with drugs, he'd been involved with violent offending
0: and he became arguably more difficult to believe as time went by because of this revelation.
4: Subsequent uh, to giving his evidence at Mr Stone's trial, uh, he was released uh, and he went on to commit murder himself. Uh, And it's said on Michael Stone's behalf that had the jury known about that as well, then they would have had an even dimmer view of him uh, and his credibility uh, than they did already.
0: Both sides conclude, perhaps not unsurprisingly, differently when it comes to considering the guilt of Michael Stone. First Matt Stanbury, then Colin Sutton.
4: So the position in summary now, as far as Michael Stone's case is concerned, is that there is further evidence, the defence would say, to undermine this supposed confession given to the witness daily that his conviction for murder uh, still further undermines his credibility in the eyes of any jury. Uh, And secondly, there's this important aspect about another potential suspect, namely Levi Belfield.
1: I don't think Levi Belfield committed it. I think if we believe the confession evidence and the past evidence that's there about Michael Stone's propensity to attack like that and the psychological evidence, I think taken together, it is a reasonable decision for a jury to come to to convict him.
0: Those two perspectives on this appalling crime have been aired in public over the 20 years since Michael Stone's conviction. What verdict would the 12 selected citizens and a TV programme called The Jury Room reach in light of everything that we've heard? Well, look, you know, we we can't reveal in this podcast what the the jury finally found in terms of Michael Stone, but uh, I I think it's permissible. We know that you, Bell found him not guilty on the Mm. evidence. I think it's permissible, Ben, to to find out, because you weighed up the evidence too. Mm. Having heard everything, what did you find? I I found him not guilty. Okay, so when you tune into the jury room on CBS Reality, you're going to know that uh, two juries found him not guilty. What did the others find? Uh, Final question uh, for you both. Um, It's not easy, is it, to bring a conviction and to prove Mm. a case?
2: No, it's, it's, I've never been on a real-life jury. This felt like it, mm, you know, because we all took it very yeah. seriously. I think it must be one of incredibly difficult... And I think just today will weigh on my mind tonight, you know.
3: Yeah. I, 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 just for the little girl that survived this, yeah, this terrible incident. Exactly. Oh, you, you so want to find him Absolutely. guilty, don't you? Absolutely, you do.
0: Mm. Bell and Ben, thanks very much. The defence team believe Michael Stone's case should be examined again by the Criminal Cases Review Commission. They think him not guilty. What do you think? Imagine right now that you are on the jury having just heard what Balmooney and Ben Hall have heard. Put yourself in the position of the original jury sitting just a year or so since one of the most horrific crimes in post-war Britain was committed. Is Michael Stone the killer? Is he guilty or not guilty? What's your verdict? You can watch the full episodes on CBS Reality. Join me next time on the Jury Room podcast as we consider another case of a convicted murderer protesting their innocence.